Well, today we're going to enter into a new season, if you will, of um, parables. And so just to, just to kind of close off the last season, we were on six messages of about eight of Jesus' parables, all packed into Matthew 13, and all of those parables were about the kingdom of God. And Jesus always starts the parable by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like. He finished that, we finished that last parable last week. Then there's about three chapters of Jesus' ministry where he's healing some people. He's getting into some arguments with some people. And he takes his disciples up to the mountain and transfigurates in front of them. And he tells them that he's the Messiah. And he tells them not to tell anybody about it. And then Matthew 17 starts a new series of parables that Jesus is going to tell. And we're going to call these the parables of grace. Because in these parables, we're going to see that Jesus is trying to teach us that this new kingdom that he's been teaching us is the way you enter into it is through grace and grace alone, not by your works, not by religion, not by anything else. And today we're going to look at probably one of the most weirdest parables in the Bible. I think it's one of the weirdest. It's often referred to as the parable of the coin in the fish's mouth. Let me read it. Um, so, so they leave Galilee. That's where he told the parables of the kingdom. And they enter into a new city called Capernaum. And while they're at this colony, um, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Notice how that question is asked in the negative, right? That's important. They're, they're already assuming he does not pay the tax. Why? Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. He said, yes, Peter says. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? So far, this parable is making absolutely no sense to us, right? And when Peter said, from others, Jesus responded and said, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, or um, the NIV says, not to scandalize them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel Take that and give it to them, one for me and one for yourself. The end. What is going on in this parable? It's weird, isn't it? And the parable actually kind of has two parts. The first part is the spoken part, the riddle that Jesus asks. Who takes taxes? The kings take taxes from who? And then the second part is the acted out part where they catch a fish and pull out a coin out of a fish's mouth. So we need to kind of talk about both. Before we can understand what's happening with the coin, we have to understand what's happening with the riddle, which is hard enough to understand when you first read it. I want to be honest with you. All my life, I've not really understood this parable until this week. I'm, now I love this parable. It's a great parable, actually. It's one of my favorites now. So let me try to explain a little bit what's happening, because I think that um, we need to understand a little bit of the cultural context. So the first thing we see is that uh, they're in Capernaum, and the collectors of the temple tax approached Peter and said, your master doesn't pay the tax, does he? And so what is this thing? What is this temple tax? Well, it was a tax on the Jews, those who worshiped in the temple. It was an annual tax. Once a year, they had to pay two drachmas, also called a didrachma, which means two drachmas. And a drachma is the equivalent of two days pay. Okay, or, 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 or two drachmas are equivalent to two days' pay, I should say. So that's quite a bit of money. Two days' pay is forced from the Jews to be given to the temple in order to upkeep the temple and its ministries. 
Okay, so that's the first thing we need to understand. And so they ask Peter in the negative, your, your, your master, Jesus, doesn't pay it, does he? And I think Peter responds with a yes pretty quickly, almost sounding like, yeah, of course he does. But clearly he has doubts, right? So he, so he rushes home, and Jesus is in the house. So Jesus wasn't a part of those conversations. And as soon as Peter gets into the house, Jesus, as if to already know what Peter's going to ask, speaks first, and he says, hey, Peter, I got a question for you. Peter says, oh, what? <laughs> I really have something I want to tell you, Peter. You know, Jesus, I got a question for you. What? From whom do the kings collect taxes? From their children or from their sons or from the citizens of the kingdom? Different Bibles translate that word differently. Sons, children, citizens. Or from others or foreigners. When a king takes taxes, does he take it from his children or from the citizens of his kingdom? Or does he take it from foreigners? And Peter answers, obviously, from the foreigners. So let me pause there for a second. Let me back up a little bit. I think this is part of the reason why most of us don't understand this parable. Because in America, it's not the foreigners <laughs> that get taxed, right? As Americans, we have to pay a state tax, a sales tax, a personal property tax, a housing tax, an income tax, a social security tax, and if you live anywhere near a toll booth, a toll tax, right? So we get taxed all the time, and if Jesus were to ask us, from whom do the leaders tax? Do they tax the citizens of the country, or do they tax foreigners? You and I would say, let me tell you, they tax me. Me alone, it feels like. They tax us to death. But it wasn't that way in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, Rome had come in and taken over Jerusalem, and they were taxing the Jews in order to build their empire and attack other countries. So Rome taxed the Jews, the foreigners. So hear it this way. Jesus could have asked it this way. From whom does Herod collect taxes? From us, the foreigners, or from his own citizens? And Peter said, from us, the foreigners. But then Jesus, and this is why we have to understand that cultural context so that we can get Jesus' punchline of his joke. And the punchline of his joke is this. Then the children are free. Then the people who are citizens of that kingdom are free. And then he says, but in order not to scandalize them, or another way of saying it is, in order not to get their panties in a knot, let's pay the stinking tax. Go fishing. And don't you worry, you're going to catch something. And the first thing you catch, look inside of his mouth, and you'll find a shekel. And a shekel is a bigger coin, and it's worth four days' pay. It's four times a drachma, so it's enough to pay two temple taxes. And Jesus says, look, we're going to pay their stinking tax. In fact, when we pay it, it's going to be stinking, because it's going to come out of a fish's mouth. And then you're going to toss it over them their way and say, that's, more, that's for me and my master. There. The end. It's an interesting parable, isn't it? In fact, it actually stumps a lot of scholars, because... It, does, it seems like Jesus, he performs this miracle, which isn't really much of a, as much of a miracle as it is a magic trick. Like pulling a rabbit out of a hat, Jesus is pulling the coin out of a fish. You know, it's not a, a typical miracle. It's like a, it's like a kind of an odd, very odd miracle. And so it definitely does get your attention. And I'm going to tell you what I think. I think that Jesus, I think this is a really funny parable. And I think that Jesus is being, I think he's mocking He's mocking the Jewish system, and he's being a little sarcastic, or maybe a lot sarcastic, and he's got a joke, and he's got a punchline. So, so he says, who takes taxes? Who's supposed to be taxed? 
the citizens or the foreigners? Peter says, the foreigners? Jesus says, ah. Good job. Good answer, Peter. So you see, the children are free. Now, before you go home and think, yes, I'm going to save some money this year. I'm going to stop paying my taxes. <laughs> we have to understand that he's talking about the temple tax, which is the temple system, which represents the Jewish religion, which I think also represents all religion. We're free from all of those arbitrary taxes and laws and rules and checklists of do's and don'ts. We're free from that. And then Jesus, in his sarcasm, says, but in order not to scandalize them, scandalize them, you know, by not paying their, oh, we're going to scandalize them. Let's go ahead and pay their stinking tax. Don't worry, we're not going to take it out of our money. We're not going to take it out of our pocket. We're going to go to the sea and take it out of there, and we're going to find it in a fish's mouth. And then you can just give it to them and say, hey, look, you was worried about whether or not my master paid his tax? Here, here's his tax. Oh, and by the way, here's mine. See ya. So Jesus is kind of sticking it to the Jewish system, I think. In fact, I think he's so over the religious system that he is willing to just play this little game. He's willing to be silly, if you will. This little parable marks the beginning of Jesus' parables of grace, where Jesus will teach us that in his kingdom, in the kingdom of God, the citizens or the sons and daughters are free from religion. That's huge. This is like the first time Jesus is actually saying this very clearly. And, and we enter into that kingdom by grace and grace alone, not through religion, not through a religious system of paying taxes or following a checklist of do's and don'ts. Jesus is separating himself from that system. And I think it's good news. It's beautiful, beautiful good news. Jesus is essentially saying that everyone is free. The children are free. The gospel is about freedom. So I, I want to just kind of, I think that's obvious in this text. But let me show you some other things in, in context about Jesus that proves the point. Jesus seems to be separating himself intentionally from the temple and all that it stands for. For instance, in, in one story, Jesus is in the temple on the Sabbath, and he heals someone in the temple. And the religious temple leaders get scandalized, and Jesus argues with them in public and destroys them argumentatively. He says, this is you, blah, 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 boom, bang. And you can see that he's showing a little cynicism or, or sarcasm towards this system. He's, he's separating himself from it. Uh, another story is um, his disciples got in trouble for picking grain on the Sabbath. And Jesus says to the priests, he says, well, or to the, to the religious leaders, excuse me, Jesus says to the religious leaders who are arguing against the disciples, he defends them and says, your priests in the temple profane the Sabbath guiltlessly when they eat the bread of the presence. But then Jesus says, but never mind, forget about it, because something greater than the temple is here. So he's saying, look, I'm the new the new, new king in town. I'm greater than the temple. Forget about the temple. Look at me, is what Jesus is saying. He's contrasting himself against the temple and the temple system. Some of you might be wondering about this, though. Jesus goes into the temple, and he gets upset, and he turns over the tables and the money changers, and he gets, gets kind of upset with them, right? And so at first we might think, oh, see, Jesus has a high value of the temple. Well, not necessarily. Jesus has a high value of his, of his father. And he says, you have turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. You should be praying to my father. But this has become, this is, you're mocking God with all of this. And he, he turns the tables upside down. And then right in the midst of that, he screams out, tear this temple down in three days. I will rebuild it. Tear this temple down. And in three days, I will rebuild it. 
And of course, you know that didn't go so well for him, right? Everyone got really upset with him for saying that. But John tells us that he's talking about his own body. Tear me down, kill me, and I will rise in three days. But Jesus seems to be mocking the whole temple system. And then it really comes to, I think, a climax and a conclusion when Jesus dies on the cross. At the moment he breathed his last, the Bible tells us the veil in the temple was torn in two, signifying, presumably, that the end of the old religion of the temple, by virtue of its fulfillment, of this new mystery of Jesus' death. Jesus died on the cross and says the old order, the old temple religion is dead. It's gone. The new is here. If I could put it in a nutshell, Jesus is saying by this parable, the children are free and therefore the citizens are free. And Jesus is saying there's a new king in town and he doesn't tax his children. He doesn't tax his citizens. You're free. You're free indeed. Isn't that good? I love it. I love it a, a bunch. So you see the strange little parable Jesus is putting an end to religion. He is, to borrow a, a line from Capon, he's closing up the religion shop once and for all, and in jest, he's locking the door and hanging a gone fishing sign. You want religion? It's closed. We're fishing. Forget about it. There's no more religion. So when we get to this parable, and Jesus gives us his punchline of the joke when he says that all who die with Christ and are raised to new life with Christ through his death and resurrection are the sons and the daughters of the kingdom. And all those sons are free from old religion. There's a new king in town. He doesn't tax his children. This is good news. Robert Capon says this, the whole passage is a proclamation of the end of religion. And to me, the episode says that whatever it was that religion was trying to do would not be accomplished by religious acts at all, but in the mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection. That perception seems to have been so, listen to this, liberating to Jesus that he allowed himself the frivolity of this very odd miracle indeed. But beyond that, it is also, or at least it should be, radically liberating to everyone. Isn't it? It should be. I mean, this parable should make us kind of laugh out loud. Ha! He's sticking it to the Jewish system. He's sticking it to religion, and he's saying, you are free. More than that, though, if you think about it, Jesus says, I've, like you said, Doug, I've paid your taxes, and I've paid it in full. Jesus pays it with the exact amount of change, right? I'm going to pull out four shekels to pay for yours and for mine. I'm covering for all the sins of the world with the exact amount of blood, if you will. Paying it all perfectly. It's, it's just unbelievable to me. So it should be very liberating. And so Christians should be very joyful people, don't you think? I'm free. Jesus says, look, you don't have to pay the stinking tax anymore. I've gone to the cross and I've paid it for you. And I've paid it in full. And since I've paid your tax, no one's going to come knocking on your door asking for it anymore because you're free. And to quote Braveheart, what will you do with that freedom? What will you do with that freedom? What will you do? Are you going to go back into slavery? Are you going to go back into some sort of religion? But you do. Don't you? We all do. We all, in the back of our mind, turn our Christianity into a religion. And we try to act a certain way and, you know, posture ourselves a certain way and, and do certain things in order to be very religious. And yet, Jesus says, you're free from religion. 
And the question we should ask ourselves is, what do we do with that freedom? I have a theory, and that is that we are all very addicted to religion. Addicted to religion. And let me define religion. Religion, by definition, is any position or action that you can do in order to manipulate God or the gods to do what you want them or him to do. Does that make sense? So think of ancient religions. They would sacrifice a bird in order to make God like them, you know? Or, or ancient, you know, ancient Egyptian, I don't know, weird religions that would sacrifice their firstborn son to the, to the God of the harvest, you know, in order to have good crops forever. Or, or they would sacrifice a sheep or a goat on the third day of the 12th full moon in order to, you know, fulfill their purity so that God would like them and maybe they can be with child, right? That's religion. And, and, and that's been religion from the beginning of time, and it still is that today, even though Jesus is saying, I'm setting you free from that. And I don't know about you, but I am addicted to religion because I play this game in my mind all the time. And I actually even say it out loud in my brain. You know what I mean by that, out loud in my brain? You kind of talk out loud so you hear your voice up in here. <coughs> I'll say, God, if you do this for me, I'll do this. Do you, raise your hand if you do that. Lord, if you'll, please, if you'll please answer this prayer, I promise I'll never, you know, say another cuss word again. And then we always break our promise. We do. I, I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, I, I had sinned, and I told God I was going to do it. You know, God, I'm going to do this. I just, I'm sorry. I have to learn the hard way, I guess. I already know what it's going to do. Just close your eyes. And I thought for sure the very next day I was going to die in my car, you know. My wife said, drive carefully. And I'm like, why'd you say that? Do you know <laughs> something? You know, God's going to get me. Because we fear that if we make bad choices, God's going to get us. If we make good choices, God's going to love us. Am I right? And that's religion. And Jesus is saying, the sons and the daughters are free from religion. It's beautiful. Let me show you some Bible verses that back that up. Um, John 1 says, but... To all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Think of religious systems that you can do things, act in a certain way in order to make God love you, in order to make him adopt you. But we were born of God. If we just receive Jesus, then we are born of God. We become children of God. That's awesome news. Not if you and don't, then I will adopt you. No. If you receive Jesus, God gave them adoption as sons. Here's another verse. Again, with the children contrasting slavery into religion. For you did not, Romans 8 verse 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, or Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, indeed, children of God. And listen to this. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God, then fellow heirs with Christ. If Jesus is saying, hey, there's a new king in town that I don't tax my children, this verse is telling us not only are we children, but we are heirs of that kingdom, and we're definitely not going to be taxed. We're fellow heirs with Christ. 
unbelievable verse. We are unbelievably free, and this is good news. So let me conclude. Christians don't necessarily act like they're free, do they? And as we trek into these next half a do- or dozen or more parables of grace, I hope that we're going to see more and more and more that God loves us, and he's saved us, and he doesn't want us to be in slavery but to be free, and he wants to know what will you do with that freedom. And I think one of the things we need to do is people need to hear it from us that Christianity is about freedom, not rules. Christianity is about freedom, not slavery. Christianity is about freedom, not taxes. <laughs> it's about freedom. The gospel is good news, and it's good news about freedom. It says that Jesus has, not, has, Jesus has paid our debt. It is paid in full, and now that the debt has been paid, we are free. Free from religion, free from checklists, free from arbitrary rules. We are children of the king, and therefore above all of that silliness. Jesus says, so silly. It's so, he make, he's making this a joke. If you have died to self and been raised with Christ, you are children of God. So listen to how Capon closes. I love it. Jesus tacks a gone fishing sign over the sweatshop of religion, and for all the debts of all sinners who ever lived, he provided exact change for free. How nice it would be if the church could only remember to keep itself in on the joke. Let's pray.